right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Great to be here. Great to see you guys. Uh, and like Jim said, if you're new, would love to answer questions, help you get connected. So uh, grab him on the way out, grab another staff member, put your uh, bulletin tear off with some contact question information or questions we can answer. You can throw that in the brown offering box. And we'd love to just connect you and partner with you wherever you might find yourself on your journey. Um, so thanks for being here this morning. I'm excited about what God has for us. I'm excited because we're in Revelation, and uh, there's a lot less pages in my Bible at this point in our study of Revelation, close to the end, than where we were. So just excited about what, together, we've walked through the past almost a year, which is crazy. But uh, man, I've learned a ton. I'm grateful for the ways you guys said God's encouraged you. So look forward to what he has for us once again as we open up his word. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Father... Uh, we are <clears throat> grateful for the opportunity to come as a body and to be in a place where we can encourage each other, where we can affirm truth about you, and where we can open up your word. And we know that there's nothing uh, from anybody who stands on this stage, that whatever wisdom they give, Father, is not nearly as remarkable and beneficial and life-changing as the wisdom and the truth that you've given us. And so we come once again, Father, and I pray that whatever has distracted us this morning and uh, been on our minds and is still racing in our minds or our soul, uh, that even right now the Holy Spirit might quiet us. And we may have a sense of expectation as we come. And as we come, Father, that we may come this morning to... Uh, we're going to learn <clears throat> a little bit more about how the story all fits together, Father, but then as we think about what that has to do with us, God, that you will speak to us and you will encourage us uh, and you will help us to know you better. So thank you for these things. And we pray this in the name of the King whom we've been studying about, King Jesus, who one day we will see face to face. Uh, and until that day, may we honor him well. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> stories, right? A lot of us most of us, to different degree, love stories, stories. And there are all sorts of different ways that we encounter stories. Uh, how many people here like are readers? Raise your hand if you're a reader. Nobody's judging you. I'm not your teacher. Okay, good. The more spiritual people have just raised their hands. That's, <clears throat> that's a blessing, right? There are a bunch of us. Are, okay, how about you're like, man, I never want to interact with a story by reading it. But you get me a Netflix series, and I am all about sitting on the couch like a mushroom, not moving for 42 hours, interacting with a story that way. How many people are like, I don't want to read, but man, I will binge watch stories uh, with the best of them. Okay, so, so some of you are embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. You're still kind of spiritual, just not as spiritual <clears throat> as us readers. Um, well, man, I'm a nerd. I'm, now that I'm 51, I don't care if people think I'm a nerd, right? When you're like 15, you don't want anybody to know the truth about you. But I, I like to read. I play a little Fortnite, but my new thing is online chess. So I'm like totally uh, across the barrier. But man, I love to read. And this weekend, I grabbed a day or a couple days up at the lake with my wife who's been up there with her parents. Um, <clears throat> and I, I was in this book. And man, I was, I was reading through that book. And I just wondered as I flipped the pages, how is this book going to end? right? <clears throat> how is this book going to end? Like, what's going to happen? I don't understand how the plot's going to resolve. And, and maybe some of you have thought that as you've been reading a book, maybe you're watching a, a, a series on Netflix, right? Maybe a show, and you're like, you're like two episodes from the last season or the last episode, and you're like, how is this all going to come together? Many times when we're interacting with stories, 
we ask ourselves the question at some point in that story, well, how is this all going to come together in the end? And sometimes in stories, when it's like a sequel to a story, right? Like the first book was a success, so now they come out with book number two. Or the first episode of whatever show was a success, so now they come out with the next episode. Or the first Star Wars was a success, so now we're like on Star Wars 79, I don't know, right? Tattooney Speaks or something, right? Many times we, when we interact with stories, we want to know, man, how's the story going to end? And sometimes when that story is a part two of a prior story, understanding the prior story and what happened before helps us fully then understand the second piece that comes after it. That plays in perfectly to the best two movies ever made in the entire history of cinematic theater. I've already seen some people like go like that. I saw somebody just go like, oh, right? But hey, truth hurts sometimes, but here's some truth. The best movies, I, I used to think that the best movie ever made was Top Gun because for a long, see, don't hold on, just relax, it's gonna be okay. And we are gonna get to Revelation, I think, sometime in this soliloquy up here. I used to think that the best movie ever made was Top Gun, okay? Um, and actually, we had a, a pastor here, a youth pastor, a long, long time ago, who, Mike Kraft, amazing dude, right? We sent him out to go plant a church, great guy. Um, but I came to find out in a staff meeting, he had never seen Top Gun. So I said, Mike, I came in a day or so later with a DVD of Top Gun, because we didn't stream back then. And I said, okay, you need to watch this, and if you don't, I will fire you. And I don't think I meant it, but I can't. Right? I used to think Top Gun was the best movie ever, but then something amazing happened. And something amazing happened in IMAX theater sound. And what amazing thing happened? You know what it was, right? Maverick colon Top Gun was released. And I then realized the best movie ever made was in fact Maverick Top Gun. But when you're watching Maverick, right, kind of the, the, the second part of that story, if you'd already seen Top Gun, man, you, you had a lot of understanding going into it about all the different storylines that were woven underneath. You had a lot of understanding about why some of the things in the second movie, in the concluding piece of the Top Gun franchise, was so significant because you knew what had happened in the story before it. You understood the significance of Goose. You understood the significance of Iceman. You had a working knowledge of that. And that working knowledge of that made all of this be like, whoa. Like, I get it. It lands on me. It understand. I understand it. In stories, a lot of us want to know how those things resolve. How does it end? And in stories, when it's the second piece of a story, understanding what happened before it, man, helps put things in context. And maybe this morning you're in some unique place in your story. God, in all of our lives, is authoring our stories. And maybe for some of you, you're in a season in your story where you're wondering, man, how do some things in my story resolve? Like, how are some things in my story going to work out? Or maybe you're in a place in your story where you're thinking to yourself, okay, man, I, I understand what's going on now, but all this happened in the past. Like, how does all that interact with this? And I'm trying to figure out how it puts pieces together. Maybe some of you, it's not necessarily your personal story you're walking through, but uh, you keep coming to Calvary Church or you keep streaming online because there's something about the true story that's written in this book that has grabbed you. 
and you're newer in your faith and you may not want to share that with everybody because you go to community groups where people are like naming the 12 tribes of Israel in alphabetical order and you're like, bro, I don't even know who Moses is, right? Um, and maybe some of you, as you've heard different things in sermons or interact with it, you're like, I- I'm just trying to figure out, like, how does all of this tie together? Like, I've seen different pieces, but how does this story resolve? Well, to all of that, right, that brings us to what our text is going to be today. Today's text is the first part of the last chapter of Revelation, And in many ways, today's text answers a lot of those questions about, okay, how does this story resolve? How does this story all come together in the end? And maybe for some of you who are trying to piece together, what's the Bible all about? Like Christians talk about hope. They talk about Garden of Eden. There's Revelation. Like, how does all that come together? This is going to help put some context into that. And The fascinating thing that's so cool is Revelation 22, the verses we're going to look at today. It's the bookend. It's almost like a mirror to some things that happened long, long time ago in the story. And so what's true for Maverick and Top Gun is true for you and me as we study this story, right? If, as we jump into Revelation 22, if we don't fully understand everything that happened before it, If we don't understand the goose and the Iceman's significance, if we don't understand what was happening, then we're going to miss some of the richness to understanding the concluding final piece of it today. And so our text is going to be Revelation 22, 1 through 5, the bookend, the wrap-up, the conclusion, right? The final chapter, which is really only just the beginning of a brand new eternal chapter. It's a bookend. And so to fully understand Revelation 22, we need to understand what happened in the story before Revelation chapter 22. And so we got to think about how the story started. And even if you're not a church person who's read through your Bible, most people are familiar with the line that starts the Bible story, and when I say story, I don't mean fiction, right? I mean the, 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 the true story that God has authored through all these pages that has a common thread woven through everything of it that has places and people and ups and downs and promises and heartache and hope. And, and as we think about where all that story began, it began where most of us know it began. It began in the Oh, man. Bible scholars, every single one of you. It's true. Right? The story began in Genesis 1. And Genesis 1, 1 said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God put everything into place, and then God did some interesting things, right? He started to populate that. He started to put some things on that. And Genesis 1:26 tells us how we got involved in the story, right? Again, this true story. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and the heavens and over everything. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and pretty quickly into the story, he made people. He made actual, historical, he was in charge of how people got into this place. And in that setting that God had made in the beginning of the story with the people he made, there was this intimate connection between God, the creator, and the people that he had created. There's this really uh, meaningful passage uh, later on in Genesis 
And it talks about this, about this fellowship, about this relationship. And you can flip to that side. It says, talks about Adam and Eve, these two people. And talks, this, this Genesis 3, it gives this amazing insight to the relationship that God had. And it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Many commentators, many scholars will look at this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they'll draw out from this that there was this personal, physical, right, face-to-face, place-to-place interaction that people had with God. And they were able to have that interaction that we can't have because at that point in the story, right, everything there, there were, prior to what happened here, before Genesis 3, there was this pureness, there was this holiness in the people so they could have this interaction with God. What we had in the beginning of the story was face, personal, physical, face-to-face interactions with God. In the beginning of the story, there was personal, physical, face-to-face interactions with God. We've sung about the hope of that, right? When we talked about in, the, in it as well, when our faith will be sight. In the beginning of the story, the people, Adam and Eve, didn't necessarily have to have faith that God was there because he was there with them. And then in that setting where they were interacting with God, there, we read about this unique access to certain trees. It's a tree called the tree of life. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Uh, uh, What we had associated with that, there's this idea that we see later on that the tree of life is something, whether metaphorically or whether actually, allowed people to remain eternally in the state in which they're in. There's something about this tree of life, right? Whether it's a symbol for or whether it's actual, you take a fruit off it and eat it, this tree reveals that it allows people to remain in the state in which they're currently in. It has this life. It has this idea of eternality, that if you interact with this tree, that if you engage with this tree, whatever state you're in, whatever's going on in in your reality, in your story, that's going to be what goes on for all of eternity. That will never change. And in the beginning of the story, there was this personal, physical, face-to-face interaction with God, and there was the second thing that we had was access to the tree of life and things remaining as they were eternally. That the people in that moment had the potential, the possibility to experience forever what it was they were experiencing. That that potential was there. That possibility was there. And in this moment, what they were experiencing in the place in which God had created for them, with this physical present interaction with God, what they were experiencing, it was good. It was good, good. We know that it was good because at least six times in the first chapter of Genesis, God looks down over everything that's going on, and you know what he says? Man, this is good. He, he describes the world in which he had created as good. 
And then after he puts humans in there, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, 31, he looks down over everything. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. In this place, as we'll see in a little bit, there was the opportunity for sin. There was the potential for sin, but at this moment, there had not yet been any sin. There was no brokenness, there was no emptiness, there was no fall, there was no rupture relationship. All there was was living in a place that God had created, designed particularly, especially for you, in a physical place-to-place relationship with God with the potential for that lasting all of eternity. And to say that it was very good, man, that's like the understatement of the decade. Man, this place was amazing. It was amazing. And in that place, they had work and purpose and meaning that God had given to them. Genesis 2, 15 talks about how the Lord took man and he put him in the garden to work and to keep it. Meaningful, satisfying work and service. And it was a place, right, where nothing bad had yet happened. It was a world without the curse. Meaningful work and service in a world without the curse. And and in all those amazing things, that's what we had. But in Genesis chapter 3, we lose all of that because the people before us believed a lie that you've heard me talk about for over 10 years. The lie was, and the lie that I believe and sometimes you believe is this at times, that there is an upside to disobeying God. And amidst everything that is good and perfect, what they thought was that God was holding out on them. The reason I sin, the reason you sin, is because in your heart you believe the exact same thing. You think that God is holding out on you. And what they believed is, hey, if I do it my way, there's going to be an upside to that. Because I'm going to get something that I want that God's not getting to me, and I don't trust him. I don't know if he's good, so I'm going to do it my way. And when they made that choice that many times in our lives we make, you know what? Everything changed. Everything changed. Before that, here's the list of what they had. Personal, physical, face-to-face interactions with God, access to the tree of life and things remaining as they were eternally, a world without the curse and meaningful, satisfying work in service. But in the moment that they thought that there was an upside to disobeying God, all of that changed, was lost, was shattered. I'm not going to do it because I still, maybe I would do this on my last Sunday. Actually, if this was my last Sunday, I would do this. But it's not, right? But I got two more weeks. But you know what? Imagine right now if I took a huge sledgehammer and just smashed this monitor. Man, it'd be such a good illustration. Cats, I'm thinking about it, right? Imagine if I took a sledgehammer and I just went one good swing smash. What would probably had the chance of happening is it totally wouldn't break everything. It would shatter the screen, but you would still see this stuff here, but it would all just be shattered. 
It would all be shattered. It would all be chipped. It would all be frayed. And that's what happened to the story of the world when people sinned. It, it, it was kind of still there behind the scenes, but it was shattered and broken and not the way it's supposed to be. We lost all of these things. Our relationship with God changed because now there is sin. And we aren't, what the scripture tells us other places, because of sin, we cannot physically be in the presence of the holy God, right? Look what happens in the story. We see again back in that Genesis 3.8. They heard the sound of the Lord their God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, they would go to God. They would run to God. They would see God. You know what they do here? They hide from God. Because in the condition that they're in, they no longer can be in the presence of God. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that, that sinful people who are now shattered by sin can't be in the presence of a holy, sinless God. The ability to physically interact and see God face to face, person to person, right? Yes, God is spiritually present everywhere, but bodily, you, you can't sit down and have a cup of coffee with God face to face. They used to. That was lost. What else was lost was this access to the tree of life. We read later on towards the end, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. This does not mean that we became godlike. You know what this means? That we then knew what evil was. Before that, we knew only good. But then, man, we knew what sin was. We knew what brokenness was. We knew what evil and wickedness and pride was, and we were starting to feel the consequences of it because we were hiding from God. And in that moment, there was the potential for that to last eternally with the tree of life. And so look what happens. <clears throat> Man has become like one of us. Oops, sorry, go back one more time. Thanks so much. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Live forever in this broken, evil, wicked, separated state. Look what God does. Therefore, the liar God sent him out from the garden to work the ground. And then we see this next part. He drove out man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. We've read a lot about them in Revelation. A flaming sword that turned every way to guard to the tree of life itself. We lost access to the tree of life. The world that was without sin, that was without a curse, changed. We see in Genesis 3:17. it says this. Because you've listened to the voice of the wife, it wasn't Eve's fault. We just, we've unpacked that a lot. Eating the tree which I commanded you shall. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. Whenever there is a TV evangelist who gets on TV and with 100% certainty attributes every hurricane or tornado to God's judgment, I think we just need to be careful. Because the reason that things happen in the world that shouldn't happen in the world and cause pain at times is because of God's judgment. But what do doctors say? Like, if you hear footbeats, don't look for zebras. I think, <laughs> wait. Okay, never mind. If you hear hoofbeats, don't look for Ziva. Okay, anyway, I don't think we need to jump to that because the reason the bad things happen is we live in a world that's cursed. The reason we have bad things that happen in the world, yes, is at times a part of judgment. It could be, but we need to be really careful arrogantly knowing when it's judgment or when it's... Because what we do know is, man, the world is broken. 
Romans 8, you should read Romans 8 sometime in the next week. Romans 8 talks about how creation itself is groaning to be fixed and to be redeemed because the world itself knows that it's broken because there's tsunamis and there's tornadoes and there's hurricanes and there's cancer and there's sickness and there's funerals and there's coffins because of Genesis 3 because now the curse has entered into the place that used to be very, very good. God's ideal was shattered like a sledgehammer to the screen that causes the spider web patterns across the glass. And man and woman who in that place used to have work that was rewarding and that was sweet, that has changed as well, right? The work becomes unpleasant and it becomes wearisome. Now, we all can have dream jobs, and you know, the, the, some of us get satisfaction from work. God still wants us to get satisfaction from what we do, right? He's designed us to do things, but it's, there is an unpleasantness to us. There is a wearisomeness to us that wasn't there in the beginning. Here's the text, right? There's, here's what he says, right? You shall not curse it. He's talking to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread to return to the ground. What God's saying to Adam is, Adam and Eve, I made this place for you. I designed you in a way. I wired you in a way where I put you there and made you there to work it and to keep it. You had responsibility. You had opportunity. You had leadership. You had authority. That would have so richly satisfied you. There would have been joy out of living and working and, and, and serving the way I made you. But now, bro, you want to go get you a Twinkie or a slice of Wonder Bread? It, it, you're going to have to work for it. And it's not always going to be pleasant. It's going to be wearisome. And by the sweat of your face, you're going to have to work for it. Largely and significantly, everything that we had in the beginning of the story we lost three chapters in. We didn't lose God's love. We didn't lose God's care. We didn't lose God's grace. We didn't lose, but we lost so many of the things that he wanted us to experience. We lost it. That's how the story began. And the reality of what changed and the reality of what Adam and Eve experienced in Genesis chapter 3, you know what? That's your reality now. That's my reality now. All the things that we've lost, that we're, we're living through the Eden that was lost. But, but, we're not at the end of the story. You're not at the end of your story. I'm not at the end of my story. I am in a story where there is brokenness, where there is pain, where there is work that is not rewarding and rest that is not sweet. I'm in the end of my story where I have to live by faith and you have to live by faith because we can't live by sight. I am in the middle of a story where, man, all that good stuff eternally with God, I'm not experiencing right now. But the end of the story, Revelation 22 the last episode, the last chapter, you know what it is? 
It is God and his grace and his mercy giving back to us everything that we lost in the beginning of the story. The end of the story is God giving back to us everything that we lost in the beginning of the story, and that brings us to Revelation chapter 22. Here's how it unfolds. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Symbolically, what this represents, this water of life, is is sustenance, is this nourishing relationship, is this life-giving, this life-giving power and ability. Bright as and look where it comes from, flowing from the throne of God. There is something at the end of the story that is yet to come that will be this sustenance and this nourishment and this life-giving reality that comes directly from God. And not only does it come directly from God, but it comes directly from God and we will also be personally and physically directly with God. Verses 4 through 5 talks about, and they, meaning the Christians, people who have believed in Jesus, will see his face. And they will see his face. Life-giving, nourishment, refreshment, satisfaction, Will be a, you will be drenched in it if you were a follower of Jesus. And you will be drenched in it largely because you will see God face to face and in that face to face interaction, everything you've longed for will be satisfied like that. Let's pretend we're not in church for a minute because pastors and churches are supposed to say those things. Let me just tell you something. If you're a Christian, one day you will see God face to face who loves you and cares for you more than any other single being in the entire world. The person who thinks you are amazing, you will see face to face. No more quiet times where you're wondering, no more worship nights where you're wondering, is God actually hearing me pray? No more times reading your Bible where you're wondering, is God actually listening? Because here will be God, and here will be you, and there will be nourishment and life and sustenance. We lost that in Genesis chapter 3. But what we will regain is this, that we will be face-to-face with God again, and he will sustain us. Sin keeps us from that. One day we'll be glorified, perfected, and we experience that. And what we regain continues because, once again, we're going to have access to the tree of life, right? The tree of life that we were shielded from, guarded from, kept from. Once again, we're going to have access to it. The text continues in verse 2, and it talks about, Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Now, lots of... Man, I should be a... I should be a theologian because they just write lots of books, sell lots of books, 
discussing everything. There are so many pages about, is this one tree of life or true tree? Ah, who knows, right? Who cares? What happens is there's at least one tree of life there. We didn't have access to it before. We lost access. We regained access to it, which means that this amazing environment face-to-face in the presence of God, you know what? Things, this is what we're going to regain. That amazing place Man, things will remain as they are for all of eternity. We had the opportunity to be in this good place for all of eternity with God interacting. We lost that, but we are going to regain that. Which means, have you ever had a vacation you never wanted to end? I go through vacation funk. Like when I'm with my family and we've been at the beach and it's been great. It, it, and then like I get home the next day, I like get, I go through like 24 hours of like, oh, because it was so good and it was so special. And for a moment, we were all together in this imaginary kind of place. And I know vacations aren't always like this because I have been in the minivan with screaming kids and dirty diapers. So trust me. Where I'm like, babe, like, I can't handle this screaming anymore. We've been on the road for 32 seconds. I'm going home, okay? But man, there's those moments where everything's good. And when that everything good moment is over, sometimes some of you experience this wistfulness. This is never going to end. The joy, the satisfaction, the completeness, the wholeness that you will experience if you're a Christian, that is never going to end next Tuesday. It's going to continue for all of eternity. Things, what we regain is things will remain as they are for all of eternity. We read more. And I love this line, right? Verses 2 and continue says... um, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the road, the tree of life with its trellis kind of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. Man, the curse is gone. The brokenness is gone. The thing that makes everything not the way it should be, the thing that causes you pain, the thing that causes you anxiety, the thing that causes us depression, the thing that causes us addiction, the things that cause divorce and hate and violence and unkindness and lies and deceit and betrayal and sickness and all of that is going to be gone because there will not be anything accursed. What we will regain is that we'll be in an environment, we'll be in a world without the curse. That's how the story began, and that's how the story ends. And in that world, without any remnants of the curse, there's one more thing that we're going to regain, right? Verse 3, I've, I've already, think I've already read it. No longer will be there anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants, servants, What does a servant do? Just use the word serve. So good, man. Servants, you know what they do? They serve, right? What what servants do is they have some work. They have some task. They have some something that they're supposed to do, and they do it. And throughout Scripture and in the bookend, what we see is that we were made for meaningful work to bring glory to God. 
We were made for leadership of things and for taking care of things and for stewarding things and for overseeing things and for aligning things and organizing and working in the midst of that. And, and that was supposed to be satisfying for Adam and Eve. That was supposed to be a blessing that, man, I'm going to put you in this great space and I'm going to give you something great to do that is going to make you come alive. Have you ever done a job or served in a ministry team or been part of a missions or, or served in just a moment where you're like, man, this is the place where my gifting and my passions unite and I feel alive doing this. That's what you were made to do. That's what you have been made to do. That's what you lost, but that's what you will regain. That in heaven, Christians are going to have responsibilities and they're going to have great opportunities to do things for God that make them feel come so alive and make God so honored in the way that they're working and serving him. Here's what we will regain, meaningful, satisfying work and service. At the beginning of the story, we had all those things. We lost all those things. And at the end of the story, what Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5 tells us is this, we will regain all of those things. If you don't believe me, here's the chart out of the text. Oh, it, oh, it looks so good on this screen now, too. Man, this is so good. Here's what we had. We worked through it. Personal, physical, face-to-face -face interactions with God. Access to the tree of life and things remaining as they were. Our world without the curse, meaningful, satisfying it. We lost that, but one day, what revelation, it's the bookend. It's the end of the story. Personal, physical, face-to-face -face interactions with God. Access to the tree of life and things remaining as they were. Had a world without the curse, lost that. Once again, we'll have a world without a curse. And meaningful, satisfying work in service. If you're ever wondering if God is going to fix things, Read Revelation 22, 1 through 5. If you're ever wondering if the pain is going to last forever, read Revelation 22, 1 through 5. This is what we had. This is what we will regain. You know why we regain that? Because God is kind. Because God is loving and benevolent and merciful and gracious and cares about us and wants good things for us. This is what we had. This is what we will have. But we don't have that yet. Where we are right now is in this little column called the now. The now. Right? We live in the now, not having what we had, not yet having what we will have. We live in the column of the now. Have you ever just had this moment that, that, I don't know what that moment was, but man, it, it's something that really meant a lot to you. And it is a moment of joy in your life. And you had it. Maybe it was a vacation. Maybe it was a, you were honored for an award. Maybe it's your wedding. Maybe it's the birth of your first child. Maybe it's seeing your... But there was this moment in life where it's just like, man, for this period of time, whether that be an hour or a day, it just felt like everything for this moment works. Everything for this moment works. And then maybe for some of you, that moment's gone, but you spent the rest of the days thinking, man, I, I, what I felt in that moment was so good. I, I just kind of wish I could go back and experience that moment. 
I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, I shared that we were in Atlanta, Georgia. I was pastoring down there. Our kids were all toddlers, little, little kids. It was a snow day in Atlanta, I think. Maybe that's pastoral fake recognition. But it was a little snowy outside, okay? Snow day in Atlanta means there's like two flakes of snow. But whatever. That's becoming a snow day in Connecticut too, apparently. Um, and we'd watch some little kid. It was, I remember we were on this blue couch and there was a fire in our fireplace and there was our TV in the corner and there was a window where the snowflakes were coming down. And my kids were little and we'd like made little cushiony things on the floor or we'd pulled out our sofa into the sofa bed and so there were little blankets and we were all just together and they were all so young and nobody was crying. We were watching some, I don't know what we were watching. We were eating popcorn and I distinctly remember as a dad and a husband thinking, I just want to freeze this moment. I just want to freeze this moment. We've had numerous, just as meaningful moments as a family from that day. But, but there's still something about that moment, man, it reverberates in my soul. I, I felt it. Something that I had, something that I enjoyed, something that I want. Again, so many rich moments. I'm not saying there's weren't. I'm just saying that moment was a unique moment that impacted me and reverberates. And, and there's always like, okay, man, I just, let, let, let's feel that again. Let's get there again. Maybe you've had something like that, but, but here's what I know. In the now, see, see, me right now, I have echoes of that. I have, long, I have something longing for that. You and I in the now, we have echoes of this, and we have longings for that. You may not even know it. You may not even know it. But whatever is making you feel like it isn't the way that it should be, you know what it is? It is an echo of this and it is a longing for that. We're people with echoes and with longings. Because in the now, we can't experience fully what we were made to experience fully. Lake Winnipesaukee, I thought about this this week as I was up there, for decades, de and I'm old, so I could say decades now, decades, some mornings at 6 o'clock, sometimes at 7.30, if it's not raining, I will go out to this corner of the dock, they got rid of the chair I used to sit on, I'm very mad at my in-laws for this, or grandmothers-in-laws for this, I'd sit on this corner of this dock, and I look over this expanse of a lake, and there's mountains over there with, with ski slopes, like, you know, miles across the lake. And I sit there, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be spiritual. I'm just being straight, right? Man, for decades, I've sat there, and I've had my quiet time. And some decades, we're dealing with sickness in our family. Some decades... We're dealing with new chapters and new job transitions and changes and opportunities. De sometimes we're dealing with conflict in the family. Sometimes we're dealing with kids getting older and college, high school, whatever. And, and I've, I, man, I sit there and as I'm reading or I'm praying, there's this part of me that's like, I, I just can't, I just want to like pop a balloon and experience God. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm reading, I'm praying, there's this majesty, there's this beauty, and there's just something that I just can't grab spiritually or physically. It's like, oh, 
God, you're there. I know you're there. I'm so close. Can I just like pop the balloon and psh, and then I see you? I, I'm longing for something because I know as meaningful as that is at different moments in my story, I, there's, a, there's an experience in God that I have not yet had. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like the space between me and God is so thin, but there's still space, and I'm not experiencing the way that I want to experience them? That is an echo of this, and it is a longing for that. Have you ever wanted the pain to go away? That is an echo of this, and it is a longing for that. Have you ever wanted work to be rewarding? And rest to be sweet. An echo of that, a longing for that. Have you ever wanted just to feel 100% satisfied? Because there's something in you that isn't satisfying. And you just like, oh, there's a splinter in my finger that I just can't get out. And it's by echoes and longings in the now. And in this moment, and we're going to end kind of with a few thoughts, there's two ways that you and I choose to deal with that. In this moment, right, that's what God's going to give to us. That is what God's given to us. This is how the story all ties together, but we're not there yet. We're here, and in this place, whether you know it or not, when you have an echo, when you have a longing, you deal with it in one of two ways. Here's the first way sometimes some people choose to deal with their echoes and their longings. It's this, right? We let, it's this. Maybe I didn't put it up there. We look to God. No, don't put that up there. I was wrong. Here's the first way. We look to God to meet those longings. And we are willing to live with hope and delayed gratification. The first way we choose when we have echoes and longings to deal with it. One option, one path. We look to God to meet those longings and are willing to live with hope and delayed gratification. I wish I had made a slide of it, right? Because I think a lot of pastors say this, when we have a longing for something we don't experience, right? Look to God to meet those longings. Well, guess what? God will not meet every longing now. He won't. He is the one who most deeply satisfies us, but he may not most completely, fully give you all the satisfaction now, which means that we need to be willing to wait with delayed gratification. We hate that, right? Your 52,000 million trillion internet speed in your house that like you think it's on your screen, that's still not fast enough for you, right? Your Instapot popcorn maker thing that'll make the popcorn in 1.2 nanoseconds it's not fast enough for you we live in an age we live in an age where we're not happy with prime getting it to us tomorrow we want to order it and have it in our hand in 37 seconds we do i needed more pickleball balls i wanted to order pickleball ball i i wanted to order pickleball balls push complete order and boom they're there right we don't like to wait we are a culture of instant gratification. And when we have echoes and longings, one way to, to deal with that is this. Look to God to meet those longings and be willing to live with hope and delayed gratification. 
Or the second option is this. We look to quench those longings with counterfeit saviors. We look to quench those longings with counterfeit saviors. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. And, and right now, all of us are in one of those two places. All of us in our place where we're either willing to look to God to meet those longings and are willing to live with hope and delayed gratification, or you say to yourself, nope, I don't know if I can trust God, or I'm unwilling to wait for delayed gratification. I want instant gratification now. And when we want instant gratification now, what we do then is we look to quench our longings with counterfeit saviors. We look to quench our longings with counterfeit saviors because we want to feel what we were made to feel. We want wholeness. We want completeness. We want everything to be good, everything to be happy, everything to be peaceful. We will have that if we're Christians one day. We don't have it now. We're unwilling to wait for it. So we say, I'm not willing to wait on God. So I'm going to go find it myself with a counterfeit savior. And those counterfeit saviors, to satisfy our echoes and longings become things like alcohol, like pride, like achievement, like accomplishment, like sex, pornography, money, your 401k, because we want something and we think, well, I'm not going to wait on God or I don't trust God. I'm going to turn to this thing to get it. Because those things do, at times, instantly gratify us. But they temporarily gratify us. And they don't fully gratify us. And they wrongly satisfy us because they are a counterfeit savior. And so in the now as we live with echoes and longings, right? Here's my challenges to us. First thing, and this is, should be on the screen now. I can't believe I missed those other things. Will you be willing to let your longings point you to what you truly long for? Your echoes and your longings are there for a reason. It's there to show you that there is something beyond this world that you are made to experience that you are not yet experiencing and is made to drive you towards that. Let your longings point you to what you were truly long for, which is God. And then, and maybe this is where some of you are this morning. Maybe some of you want this sermon to end because you're starting to feel a little uncomfortable. Because you are at a crossroads of looking to a counterfeit Savior or being in the consequences of a counterfeit Savior or deciding how you're going to quench and satisfy what you look for. Will you be willing this is what the Christian life is, right there, in part. Not the only thing. Being willing, point number two, challenge number two, to delay full satisfaction and gratification of those longings. We look to God to satisfy Him. We know He satisfies Him. We know He's the source of all satisfaction. We know full satisfaction won't come until we see Him face to face, and we say to ourselves, God, You are so good, and You are so kind, and You are so loving. I am willing to trust you and to wait and delay gratification until I'm with you and I experience that. 
Some people who are in churches this morning are going to make some really, really bad decisions because they're not willing to do that. And maybe some people who are some of us or some people listening online in four years from now, we're going to be in a really bad spot because we weren't willing to do that. Instant gratification typically doesn't end up well. And then the third thing is this, because that's hard, third challenge is this, have others around you to help you and don't journey alone. When you're journeying alone and you don't have anybody encouraging you or you don't have anybody challenging like, bro, don't go for the instant gratification. Just, I know it's hard, bro. Press on, press on. It is easy to lose track. We are people who, man, this story is a bookended story. And the story is everything that we lost at the end of the story, God in his grace gives back to us and we regain. We are wedged between those two realities and we live with echoes and with longings. And we all have to decide daily where are we going to turn to have those echoes and have those longings satisfied. Don't turn to a counterfeit savior because sin always always over promises and under delivers it may not be in a month it may not be in a year it may not be in a decade but one day someday my annoying nasally yankee southern redneck accenty voice you will echo in your ear because one day someday is true sin always over promises and under delivers don't let it lie to you don't let it lie to you let me pray, and then we're going to sing about what we will regain, about what we will experience one day again. Father, thank you that uh, you want the best for us, that your heart is for us, that you are kind and you are loving and you are good and you know what is best. Thank you that you went to great personal cost by sending us Jesus to give us hope and the potential of experiencing our best. You've given up so much for us, Father, so that we can experience life with you. And I pray that you will continue to work in our hearts, God, to bring us to a true place of just gratitude to you and thankfulness to you. And I pray, Father, that in those moments where you allow us to experience a longing for something we don't yet experience, that the Holy Spirit will powerfully work in our lives, Father, to point us to what we are yearning for is you. And Father, we know that when we are tempted, you provide a way out and the Spirit will give us strength to pursue that so that we won't turn to counterfeit saviors. Father, hold us in your mercy and hold us in your grace and sustain us as the pilgrims that we are longing to be in your presence. And Father, help us to live well by faith until we live by sight. And we thank you that one day, Father, we will see you face to face and there will be no more tears and no more sadness. And God, help us to uh, yearn for that day. Thank you. Amen.